Welcome to Trendline. I'm Michael Stittle. And I'm Nick Nanos. Nick, where are the parties at today? Gripped in a deadlock. Does that sound dramatic? <laughs> it is. It should be dramatic because it doesn't get quite closer than this. We have both of the front-running parties, the Conservatives and the Liberals, at 35% each. The New Democrats at 13, Bloc at 6, Green Party at 8, People's Party still at 2. Those guys haven't been able to move the numbers significantly, but, uh, hmm. you know, they're at 2%. So, you know, when we look at the top national number, neither of the two front-running parties has the upper hand. It's pretty clear that Canadians are unsure who they should give a tip of the hat to uh, on this campaign. And I think they're waiting to see more. So if we kind of zoom into a map of Canada and look at the different regions, is, is there anywhere where you're seeing a real fluctuation, anything interesting happening? Well, you know, I think uh, among the more interesting trends is the Bloc Québécois. I think they're, they're going to be the ones to watch. Because let's face it, right now we're in minority government territory. Mm-hmm. It's likely that if the Liberals are a minority government, that they would work with the NDP and the Green Party, depending on the number of seats that they'd have. For the Conservatives, there hasn't been as much talk about a potential Conservative minority government. But, you know, right now with the Bloc Québécois, they're picking up more support in the province of Quebec. Uh, they're at about 24, 25% provincially. Uh, wow. that, means, that means that they could win between 15 and 20 seats. So I think we're in a scenario today, at least, that if there was a minority government, either the Liberals could form a minority or the Conservatives could form a, a minority government, depending on how many seats that the uh, Bloc, NDP, and Green get. So I don't think we should dismiss the workability of a Conservative minority government at this particular point in time. Wow. And so uh, the bloc's doing very well. Um, does that sort of bring up the number of seats that could switch in, in Quebec? I mean, who, who does the rise of the bloc benefit in terms of the liberals and the conservatives? Well, it, uh, it benefits the conservatives because they take away seats that the liberals want to pick up from the new Democrats. We have to remember that a lot of those seats that the NDP have had in the last couple of elections actually were long-standing Bloc Québécois seats. And mm-hmm. the, the flare-up over the religious symbol stuff has just breathed new life into the Bloc Québécois. They are now a force. It's going to be interesting to see how their leader does uh, in the uh, in the debates. We have to remember there there's the two debates from the Leaders' Debate Commission, but there's also a TVA debate. So there's two French debates. Uh, right. So... The Bloc Québécois leader and Maxime Bernier, who will both be uh, native language speakers, will have two opportunities to put their vision and try to persuade voters in the province of Quebec. So there'll be lots of opportunity for the Bloc to take shots at the New Democrats and the Liberals uh, in their quest to try to pick up seats and to reinvigorate themselves and be more of a significant player in the House of Commons than they have been in the last four years. Now, switching over to Ontario, I've, you know, we've seen uh, Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer trying to scare voters, invoking the names of previous premiers that you may like or dislike, depending on which way you vote. Um, have we seen any movement there lately? Well, not, you know, when we look at the top number, the Liberals still have the advantage by a reasonably comfortable margin. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is that right now the, the, the New Democrats are way back of the two front-running parties. They're about 25 points back of, of the Liberals and about 20 points back of the Conservatives. Um, mm. So at, right now, Ontario is looking reasonably good for the, uh, for the Liberals. But, uh, you know, for the Conservatives, they've, they've got their eye on that 905, that elusive uh, 905 belt. 
which is uh, probably more important. If there is movement, it'll probably happen in the 905 belt because the reality is, is old city of Toronto generally tilts towards the Liberals. Small town, rural Ontario, uh, like generally tilts to the Conservatives. And it's the 905, those uh, suburban soccer moms and dads and uh, families that mm-hmm. are the targets for, for both of the uh, both of the front-running parties. Now, in Quebec, you mentioned that Bill 21 has sort of breathed new life into the block. In Ontario, I, I see that the parties are really focusing on issues of affordability right now in, in terms of their campaign platforms. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's the what's the big issues that they're really going after in Ontario and, and how can that help them? Well, they're connecting it to housing. And, uh, mm. you know, the, the one thing about the housing uh, problem, uh, and that has to do with the supply of housing and the affordability of housing, is that uh, it cuts across a number of demographics. First of all, for millennials that want to get into the housing market, uh, parties are trying to help them at least have a better chance to own a home. Uh, second mm-hmm. of all, that 905 belt uh, is is also very plugged into the housing market. Um, so it's kind of a confluence of key target groups and key geographies for uh, for housing and affordability. And the other thing is, is when you get into some of the other big cities, especially Vancouver, and you know we talked about yeah. Vancouver before. Vancouver is an open city. Like, man, don't ask me to predict what will happen in the city of Vancouver because we have a number of ridings in uh, in the city that are are quite too close to call and affordability of housing is another big issue there so think of uh think of cost of living and both the conservatives and liberals engaging on the cost of living and managing the cost of living being key planks to target swing voters that could influence the outcome of the next federal election now it's been two weeks now exactly i believe uh since this election campaign began uh, why don't we go through all the different parties and see how they've done so far? So is this kind of like a little, the interim report card, not the final report card? <laughs> it's like a half period. Or my, my sports analogies are terrible, so I'll, yeah. I won't even try. But <laughs> Yeah, do we have to say nice things about people? Or you know, usually on the report cards, teachers say nice things like, Johnny tries really well. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a failing grade if you must. Go no, for it. No, no. So how- well, I don't. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's do a walkthrough, and why don't we uh, just go through based on uh, number of seats in the House of Commons? So, liberals sure. first. Um, they had a pretty rough uh, first week. The mm-hmm. uh, you know to SNC, put it mildly, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah SNC Lavalin put them immediately into damage control on day one of the campaign. That was the front page story uh, in the Globe and Mail. And mm-hmm. uh, they were firefighting that for the first few days. And then they had the, uh, the blackface, brownface controversy to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think the, I, I would probably, uh, I would give the liberals a B. They obviously haven't done a super job, but a lot of it has to do with the, the environment uh, that they're working in. Um, you do have to realize that they, they did a reasonably good job at, at trying to reset that negative conservative trend line. Uh, at mm-hmm. the beginning of the campaign by uh, talking about things that capture people's attention, assault rifles, cell phone bills, transit, all that kind of stuff, uh, affordability, housing. Um, so they basically threw the public policy kitchen sink to get at people and were able to reset the trend line. So pretty good, but they were in a tough situation. Um, 
<clears throat> for the conservatives, I think I'd have to give them a B plus on their campaign. Why? Uh, first of all, they had very clear messaging on day one. Uh, second of all, they had their ad campaign aligned with their messaging. They benefited mm -hmm. from the Globe and Mail story, and they also benefited from the uh, the blackface, brownface controversy from from the liberals. But the they reality were sort of, is uh, that that was their not as advertised uh, yeah. campaign right before the the scandal, the brownface, blackface images came yeah. out. So, and I give them a B plus because you know not only did the opportunity present themselves, it aligned with their messaging, and mm -hmm. you know that people might might be grumpy because they say, well, the Conservatives at one point were ahead five points and now they're statistically tied again with the with the Liberals. Uh, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, back at the beginning of August, they were five points back. So for them, right. they're, in, they're in the zone right now. Uh, I don't think any party really wants to peak early. So I think we should give them a, a B plus. There haven't been any major gaffes and their messaging has been very clear. What about the NDP? That's what I want to know. I'd give them a B plus, even though their numbers uh, are kind of similar, hmm. a little lower than they were at the beginning. Uh, Jagmeet Singh has run a competent campaign. He's also had clear messages. He's focused mm -hmm. on uh, policy issues. Uh, he had a good, I would consider it a measured, appropriate response to the blackface, brownface controversy that was very authentic. Um, you know, so... In terms of how he's been running campaign, I would give, uh, similar to the Conservatives, I'd give him a, a B plus, um, mm -hmm. okay. and and uh, and you know pretty good so far. He's just he's he's stuck in that strategic voting and people being fixated on the Liberals and Conservatives. That's the challenge for Jagmeet Singh. One thing I wanted to ask you about that, Nick, is in terms of preferred PM, we haven't really seen uh, Singh's numbers uh, go up very much, have we? No, he's been pretty well flat at around. Six, seven, eight, nine percent, um, mm. and I think a part of that has to do, and this is the challenge for many new Democrat leaders, at least if they're not the the, the main challenger, like Tom Mulcair was, mm -hmm. is that people just I, I'm not sure when they see Jagmeet Singh that they think of him as a potential prime minister. I think they see mm. him as a potential effective uh, opposition leader, uh, right. someone who would be good in the House of Commons, someone that uh, asks the right questions, is compassionate seems like a fairly mm -hmm. good guy but uh, i'm not sure they see him as a uh, as a prime minister uh, in waiting and 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 as you said that's basically what happened to thomas mulcair in the last election yeah exactly and uh, you know the mm. the thing is in the last election that the ndp were doing extremely well tom mulcair was personally well positioned but mm -hmm. it just he just didn't seem to connect with voters which i think surprised a number of observers because He's been generally recognized as among the most effective parliamentarians in the House of Commons that we've seen as a while, I think, in a, quite a long time. I think some mm -hmm. people uh, called him the uh, prosecutor-in-chief of, uh, of the government when he would be right. uh, hammering away uh, the conservatives. But uh, just, it just didn't happen for him, even though uh, everything was aligned. So how has the uh, Green Party campaign been so far? I think uh, I'd probably put the Green Party, I don't know, can we say B to B plus? Like, you know, reasonably sure. good, um, but uh, distracted on a couple of occasions. Uh, they're, they got distracted by stuff that happened in New Brunswick related to defections from the New Democrats to the Greens. And he said, she said, what happened, who knows what, and what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. um, 
also there's some, been some comments related to if if individuals in Quebec lost jobs related to the religious symbols ban, that there would be jobs found someplace else. Um, right. I think I think for Elizabeth May, the her her greatest strength and credibility relates to ethics and the environment. Uh, it looks like as soon as she veers off of either of those two issues, ethics or the environment, that it just gets a little shakier for her. But whenever she's on ethics or the environment, Canadians pay attention. She's got credibility and she can move the numbers. So, uh, so you know, I think for Elizabeth May, I'll put her in the B to B plus uh, because uh, uh, just a little, she'd need a little more discipline in terms of her focus. And, uh, you know, we know this election, one of the key issues is going to be the environment. It's ready-made for for Elizabeth. She's in the right place at the right time. If the, if the debate can focus on the environment, not just in terms of global warming, but carbon taxes and pipeline development and the future of Canada, uh, she could do well. So uh, I guess if, if, if we were writing that little comment about the student, we'd say, Elizabeth has done well so far, and she shows some good potential. Mm-hmm. She should focus a little more on the environment and ethics mm. in order to move into that B plus or A right. and significantly increase the traction that she has among Canadians. You're a very generous teacher, Nick. <laughs> That's today. Who knows? Next podcast, maybe not so much. Right. So what's your big takeaway for today? My big takeaway is that voters don't see either the Liberals or the Conservatives as having what it takes to have a majority government today. And we're gripped in a tie. It's like we're in a little bit of a holding pattern where mm, Canadians are waiting to day. see, yeah, waiting to see mm. who will break out and uh, who deserves to win the election. Well, Nick, thanks very much. My pleasure. And Nick, how can we find you? You can reach me on Twitter at N-I-K Nick Nanos. And I'm at, at Michael Siddle. This podcast was produced by Trevor Coral, Jesse Taharali, and Phil Hahn. Our executive producer is Liz Travers. Sound editing was done by Jesse Taharali. If you like our election coverage, sign up for The Election Dispatch, a daily election recap from Rachel Aiello. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Thanks for listening.